that will require them, as he said, to wade through seas of blood to do that which we could have done with just a little wisdom. listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. You got that right, Rachel. This is your podcast in the sky, And If Love Remains. I am your host, Mike Lovett. I have with me today the Lion of Liberty, the Preacher of Liberty, the Sangman of Freedom. <laughs> I'm just going to make up words, but that is Brother Joey Wolverton. Glad to have you back on, man. Thank you, Mike. And we have, hey, it's fantastic. And and we have another special guest. We have Joseph Porter. Nope. Oh, Corbett. Close. I knew there was an R in the word somewhere. <laughs> Joseph Corbett, welcome. Good to have you, ma'am. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, we're going to, I am, this is one of those things that, that you know, Joey, we, you and I have talked about a bit. Um, like, how do we present um, this super important information, the things that inspired our founding fathers? Um, how do we present it in such a way that people will care? And um, I mean, I don't know the answer, but I wanted, uh, but I definitely want to present it. And this is one of those really important letters. Um, we're going to be talking about Cato's letter specifically, number 69. Um, but tell, I mean, you are the founder's recipe guy. You are the man that knows more about what the founders um, understood and what, what drove them than I think just about anybody because you understand what they learned and what they knew. So talk about that and, and about the, these letters. Um, put, give us a little con- context here. Yeah, so, you know, but I came about it, it's not like I, I came preloaded right. this information. I, I came like everybody else does. I mean, I perhaps, each of us, in my belief, comes here with some purpose for coming here that God isn't redundant, right? He, he provides for each person a particular mission, now whether or not you choose to, to accept and, and follow that. So my job on earth was to discover these things and then present these things um, to people whose job it would be to act out these things, right? Um, and so when I was in college, I, uh, I was the first person on either side of my family to go to college, and so it was very intimidating to me. Uh, I went to BYU, and so I would, you know, sit there with, you know, a thousand kids in my American Heritage class, right? Just, yeah. And um, so I was at the point of dropping out when one of my professors called me to his office and he, he said that, you know, I shouldn't drop out because he could tell that I was intelligent, but I was just ignorant. And um, which is true. And so what he, he put me on a path, to make the long story very short, he put me on a path that led to me discovering 
people that writers that had influenced our founding fathers that even he did not had never even heard of or if he had heard of them he only he only knew the, the slightest bit about what they wrote and one of those things was Cato's letters by John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon and of all the things that I read and all of them all of these uh, you know, 37 most often quoted people by the founding generation. All of them I love what they write. But it came to me as far as just me, my personality, and this is something where each individual will, <clears throat> you know, will interact, will engage with the material in different ways, right? You will negotiate this material with your preconceived ideas of things. So the thing that, the writings that appealed most to me, that I engaged with on a deeper level than all the rest were Algernon Sidney and Cato's letters, Trenchard and Gordon. Um, and these letters, so these letters just to really simply, written in the early 1720s, uh, essentially letters to the editor of a newspaper in London, and they were originally written by John Trenchard. Uh, he was, he had a secretary, a guy, so that has a different meaning today. He had a guy that would write down the things that he said. Right. And that guy was Thomas Gordon. And Thomas Gordon was some 34 years younger than John Trenchard. So these letters go through 1724. They start in 1720. And I don't even know right now the n number of them, 130-something letters. Uh, most of them end up written by Thomas Gordon because John Trenchard dies. But the point of the letters, and there's one a week, right? They publish one each week. And the point of the letters was to identify for Englishmen the threats to their liberty from inside their own government. Right. Uh, you know, they often say in their letters, there's no way we could be conquered by France or by Spain or by Holland, but we most certainly can be conquered by our own king, our own, the, the king's cabinet, people inside our society hold the key to the continuance of our society. And so these letters are written, and they at the top of each letter, you'll find a subject. Right. They say, this is what we're fixing to talk about, and they write about it. And it's, every one of them is powerful. Every one of them, I have found an analog, a contemporary analog, something that affects us today that they wrote about. In fact, when I was doing TikTok, I used to do a thing, you know, what did Trenchard and Gordon write 300 years ago today that's completely applicable to our own time? Yeah. Because they wrote in 1723, and so we're in 2023, So I and I would just pick the exact date, so March, or what is it, April 15th, and I would see what did they write on April 15th, 2023, and it never failed that it was applicable to us. And so these letters, I, if, if you could get, I mean, as with regard to Sydney, of course, Jefferson said, if you could get Sydney in the hands of every young man as soon as he's able to read, that that would be critical to maintaining yeah. Republican government. And as far as Cato's letters, Cato's letters 
were reprinted in every colonial newspaper, every one of them. Uh, they were reprinted in the colonial newspapers. They were called the dress rehearsal of revolution because a story I tell is, for example, James Madison, his dad, who was also named James Madison, um, they weren't rich. They had a lot of land, but they weren't, they couldn't put their hands on cash, right? Right. And so his dad would do business selling cotton and other uh, tobacco and everything to, to England. And he would go and have dealings with Englishmen there at the docks in Virginia. And one of the things he would do, he couldn't afford, so after a while they bound Cato's letters together. But he couldn't afford to buy that. So what he would do is he would purchase one or two letters, copies of one or two at a time, bring them home. And his wife, Nellie, who was 19 when she had James, the man who became president, she would sew them together. Oh, wow. So that he could have a sort of homemade book of Cato's letters. Wow. And she would, and uh, mind you, these letters were written when James Madison's mom and dad were being born. Right. So these are the things they, and that, this is why I say things like, you know, jo- Joseph here, he, I used to get really frustrated that. I preach all these things and do nothing about it. And it was my wife who said, well, yeah, James Madison Sr. didn't do anything about it either, except his wife taught these things. And then his tutor, when James became 11, became the student of Donald Robertson, except he made it possible for his son to learn this thing. Right. So we don't, we don't, um, take away from James Madison Sr. by saying he didn't do anything with all the knowledge he had. He did what he was called to do. And then by teaching these things to his son, his son did what he was called to do. Right. And you know, no one has a a painting of James Madison Sr. or Nellie Madison. No one does that. No one knows who they are. And I'm sure that wherever they are, they're fine with that. Yeah. Because they've received their reward for raising a child, and they had many children, but for raising a child who went on to accomplish that mission, which he was assigned once upon a time. And so I don't feel as bad now. I, I, I don't feel as bad knowing that, you know, someone like Joseph, who I taught these things to, well, that was my job. You know, his job will be to, and maybe not, maybe it'll be the job of his children. I don't know. But my point is, you don't have to be like I did and take it personally and say, what a coward. Because if I really believed these things, I would do them. No, do the part of it that you're supposed to do. Right. It's really, and, and it is, especially I believe in these days, like it's important to have... Um, a scorned re- remnant, dare I say, <laughs> that we have a remnant of people that um, pass on, like um, like the Jews did, you know, for thousands of years. Like there has to be a remnant of people that pass these ideas down, um, so that when the time is right, when the time is ripe, when, and which may be sooner than later, I don't know, but at some point there's going to be um, a group of people that have both the ability and the will to pull the walls down. Well, they will or they won't. Right. They will have the ability, whether they have. 
have the will is quite another thing because you know that's one thing, another Cato, not Trenchard and Gordon Cato, but Cato the Anti-Federalist. Yeah. In his letter number five, no, not Trenchard and Gordon number five, <laughs> Cato number five, Cato the Anti-Federalist said that you can do this. We can hand down a a free society to our children or not. And if we choose not to do those things that are required of us to bequeath to our children this patrimony of, of liberty, then that will require them, as he said, to wade through seas of blood to do that which we could have done with just a little wisdom. And so this is the thing that keeps me going is I don't want the people that I've taught, you know, they're they're getting to the age, many of this many of my former students are ha- having kids. Right. And I don't know if my former students or their children will be the generation called upon to do what our founding fathers did. But point is, regardless, I would prefer them not to have to wade through seas of blood to accomplish something that I could have helped do if I had just done my part. Right. I have a question for Joseph, if it's okay. What's up, Mike? So you, so you went through his class, yes. and I'm just curious, like what, um, you know, how did this impact you at the time, and does it impact you more, like the stuff that he taught you? And then, then we'll get into Cato 69. But, but yeah, like when you first heard this stuff, was it revolutionary to you? Had you heard it before? Give me your experience from a firsthand from taking his class. Okay, so I was raised always super patriotic, knowing the love of liberty and that it was important. Um, but as soon as I met Wolverton and actually started like down that journey of understanding the principles to why it's important, I didn't really like take a step back and fully realize the scope. Um, I was just kind of weaving my web. But now that I'm out in the real world and able to see like everything for what it is, now I can. It's easier to apply those principles in my life, knowing that. Not, not to get too religious, but knowing that like my, my creator himself is behind me, it, it's easier, you know? Yeah. That's that's cool. That that's wonderful. All right, well let's talk about number sixty-nine. This is a killer letter. <laughs> this is yeah, this is one of those ones. Along with I mean, the one that came before it and the one that comes after it, they're like a, a you know, a holy trinity of calls to action with regard to liberty. I just think well, sixty-nine and seventy and sixty-eight, those three, man, if you you know, if you're going to be one of those people that only read three Cato's letters, read 68, 69, and 70. Now, mind you, they're all worth your time. Because it's like I was telling someone the other day, because I was telling them we were going to talk about this, and, and they were like, oh, it's, it's so long, because they're printed by Liberty Fund in two volumes. Mm. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's no way I'll get through all that. Well, okay, then there isn't a way. Because, you know, <laughs> Where there's not a will, there's not a way. <laughs> Physically, you get what you want. Right. You literally get what you want, metaphysically. And so if you want to understand it, you'll read it and do what it takes, and that's how you'll know. Right? You, it's that Marcus Aurelius uh, who said, you know, you can judge a man by the object he pursues. And that's true. Yeah. If you want to understand Cato's letter, you will. If you don't, you won't. And that's fine. But don't say, you know, it's just too much. You don't know that. You never even opened it and started to read it. Right. You know? 
and uh, but yeah 69 68 69 70 and i'm sure and we'll, we'll do podcasts on those oh, as yeah. well <laughs> but but this one um i mean there's there's some real i mean there's so many quotables in this one there are yeah this is definitely one that's chock full of, of pithy little quotations yeah um so i'm thinking i mean we can kind of start with um okay Let's let's start. Well, can I say something? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At the very beginning. So after he, you know, says, "Hey," I'm, uh, and he tells the title to the freeholder citizens and burghers of the county, cities, and towns of Great Britain. Um, if you read that next bit, that next bit, you can see the Declaration of Independence. Mm, you can see yeah. this in the Declaration. Of Independence. Yeah. Because this is the part where they're saying, you know. Political bodies are, are, you know, people. People are that which inhabit government offices, and they occasionally have obstructions. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, and you can hear the whole, you know, light and transient causes. You can see that Jefferson knew this stuff inside and out. Yeah. Um, so that's they start out saying, you need to understand what government is because today that's right today we have an idea that government is this thing that exists and that somehow has eternally existed or at least existed far back as we can as we can remember so that civilization equals government right and that it has some sovereignty over us and that it it, it must be obeyed and she says if it exists independent of the people and what they are going to do in this letter is say if that is true, A, it's your fault, and B, you can undo that which you've done. Right. Yeah. And and um, and I, I do appreciate, like, he goes, he does, he goes into some detail about the, um, you know, with most things, if they break down, we can pull them apart and put them back together and we can, you know, we can fix them. And at some point, it, it becomes kind of unfixable. <laughs> and so we have to start anew. It's one of the- because he even used the phrase, right? He says, we can often look into its government's inmost frame and contexture. And when any of its constituent parts are decayed or worn out, we can mm-hmm. supply it with new ones. Right? But right. He then says, "What well, you can't do that with a physical body. We, of course, today can do that in many, right. um, in many examples. We can do that. But he's like, you can supply it with new ones, and that's Jefferson. We, you know, we have to select new guardians, right? He uses that phrase. We select new guardians of our liberty, and so he's saying, you know, if you find that some part of the Constitution is not working, some some part of the government's not working, you can get new parts just like you could for any machine. Right. And that's, you know, and this is the thing that I try to do all the time is get people to bring down their understanding of government to a more basic understanding, a more worldly, a more common connection, uh, an analog in your everyday life. Like if you had a car and something was, you know, if you had a flat tire, 
going to continue just to drive on that flat tire because that's the flat tire came, that's the tire it came with. right <laughs> i'm not going to change this tire but this tire is the tire it came with and we should revere this tire, <laughs> this tire, the best tire. in fact how dare you you know not salute let's salute the tire <laughs> right gonna, it makes no and not a sane person would say oh i think you should bro. no you're gonna you're gonna put a new tire on and so that's all they're saying here is think of your government not as a person or even as a group of people or some organism that exists independent of you but think of it as a machine right a machine that is supposed to serve your purpose like a car and if part of that machine as he says if part of it decays or wears out you replace it right and not only do you think Oh, dang, I have to replace it. You're like, I want to replace it because this machine was built to serve me. Yeah. That is the truth of government as well. And and when it, and I love this word. I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but I but I had to look it up. But but uh, Kashexi, Kakexi. It's a uh, third paragraph. Uh, this whole, or, let's see, where does it say? Um, but when a state is in a Kashexi, Kashexi. You're. Where are you looking? Uh, where am I? Oh. So it's not, it's in the middle of a paragraph. Yeah, it's in the middle of a paragraph. See? <laughs> oh, the chips, yeah. Right. Um, that, you know, what is our duty when it becomes, when it when it becomes in the state of uh, general reduction of vitality, strength, body resulting from a deliberate, when the government has become so deliberate. The end of that is important. You trailed off, but read the end of that. Oh. Uh, or chronic disease. Uh, let's see. So the definition of cachexy. Mm -hmm. Any general reduction in vitality and strength of body and mind resulting from a debilitating chronic disease. Right. Chronic. Right. Ongoing. Uh, long, tr long, tr long, tr right. So. Oh, just try, I think it's important though, because you know, if you're going to claim that these men, yes, you can find where they. Gosh, if you go to Founders Archive and you put in Cato or Trenchard and Gordon, thousand they reference this all. Well, you had to. If you, if James Madison, at age eleven, had gone to his tutor, and not known this stuff, it would have been a bit embarrassing. <laughs> and so, to his parents, you know. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's chronic. It's a long trip. So pointing out where you can see these things sort of percolate up into, you know, the documents of our founding, it's important to point that out. I appreciate that, yeah. When the state, because this is, you could read this and read the first two or three paragraphs in the Declaration of Independence to say, okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Because you should. You should. Because it's you're right. It's it's right here, and it's saying that that it's our duty. Like it's not it's not just, um, like if you want to. It's not just like oh you know if I feel like it. But it then becomes the duty of the freemen to to uh, pull away to. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object. Uh huh. 
it, it evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. That's, that's exactly the, what he just said. That's right. That is what he said. And um, and again, it goes back to what you were saying earlier that this is not. Uh, this comes to a fundamental definition of government. Like, is is government something that that creates a space for us to live in, or? It is is government a thing that we create to help serve us do certain specific things that will help us be more free to protect our rights. Again, the Declaration of Independence. Government exists for one reason and for one reason only: to secure those rights given to us by our Creator. That's it. That's the only reason it exists. Right. Right, and any other thing is not government, but something else. Right, Cicero says that it might be something, but it's not government and it's not law. Yeah, it's, it's something else. It's it's tyranny and despotism or whatever. But if a government, because you got to remember the word "govern" comes from the Greek word meaning to steer a ship. Right? So you can imagine if we're on a ship and we decide we want to go to Cabo, San Lucas. Yeah. And we hire a captain who has, you know, submitted a resume. I don't know how we hire a captain. <laughs> Down on the docks looking at captains for sale. We find a captain who says, yeah, I can do the job. We start sailing, we find out. This dude's not going the right way. Like, any of us can see the sun. And so, because we can see the sun, we're like, hey, Cabo is south of here, <laughs> we're in west of here, and you're going north. What, what are you doing? <laughs> now, he could say to us, right, he is the governor, literally in Greek, he's the governor of that ship. And they don't forget, they call a society the ship of state. He's the governor of that ship. Now, he, we could come to him and say, hey, uh, Captain, Captain, uh, hey, Captain, uh, you're heading north. We're supposed to be heading south. He's like, I know that, but I, I'm more experienced than you. I, I know what you want, and I'm gonna, ha I'm gonna get you a better place up north. Well, I don't care. Right, that's not what we hired you to do. Experienced than me. You could even be right that the place you want to take me is better than the place I want to go, but I don't care. Right. You are hired for one reason. Take us to Cabo. If you prove, I don't care if it's 100 meters or 100 miles in that journey, you prove that you are now, because of this honor that we have played, that we, the passengers, have placed upon you. If you decide, I'm going somewhere else because I know better, or whatever, or because a few of the passengers have paid me to take them somewhere else secretly, whatever the motivation, if you decide... That very moment, the passengers, those of us who really want to go to Cabo and who aren't involved in any sort of conspiracy to take us other places, we can take that captain, obviously, because we're the one who hired him, and we can relieve him of his duties and choose from among ourselves a captain, or we can pull into the dock, get on another ship, find another captain, None of this would any sane person question. Right. But when you change 
from the analogy of a ship and a captain to government and political servant, people lose their minds. Yep. No, we can't do that. And it's simply the analogy is is exact. It is exact, and 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 it's not just in the people or the offices, but it's even in um, the the. Uh, actions that government takes. If if you were to describe taxation in any other way and not use the word taxation, any sane person would call that theft. Whether it's from one person to another person, from a gang of people to another, to uh, uh, from another person, if the gang of people call themselves the police and take from another person, if the gang of people are authorized by a person that's that's hired by the, your neighbors to. Uh, take property from another person. That's all theft. It's only once you say it's now taxation that people go, what? We, how will the roads be built? (laughs) If you read in Cato's letters, if you read any of these people, if you read, even if you were to read the founding, the documents written by the founding book, this is what, so many things annoy me. One of the things that annoy me is that anybody could read that. Anybody could read that taxation has been, from the beginning of Anglo-American history, taxation has been associated and only associated with the money necessary to prepare to defend the realm against a clear and present danger. It is not something, A, to make revenue. That's never been. Right. It is not something, B, to accumulate funds, to dole out to others. Charity has no part of the legislative business, said James Madison. It is simply for one, it has always been tied to that, one reason, one reason only, to prepare a defense of the realm. Right. And all throughout English history, and no one knows this because, you know, I think, you know, it'd be brilliant if we could just take all these books, give them new covers, and say that J.K. Rowling wrote it. <laughs> I think get it might be. Might, it's like they're just going to think and just change some names, but like, whatever. <laughs> just so that like, oh my gosh, did you read? You know, but, <laughs> the letters of Harry Potter. <laughs> you could read that. Anytime King has attempted to tax his people and have it not be because of an obvious, a clear and present threat to the safety of the of the kingdom. Right. The people rejected. I mean, you've got names people don't know today, but like John Wilkes. Right? You've got Selden, John Selden. These people that said, I'm not paying tax so that you can have another mistress. Right. You know, and that's, they just make it up. So today, people are like, well, taxation isn't theft. And boy, it is, actually. And it's beyond theft. It's extortion. It's a, you're right. Because if you don't pay that tax, you very well could end up in prison. That's right. Right. So as April 15th is looming, well, it, is it is today. <laughs> but the crown has said we have to April 18th. That's true. Oh, that will... Thank, thank the crown for that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and here's the other thing I love about this letter. Um, as I was reading through it, he does, Trenchard really does um, 
put the onus on us. He says he he says the the um the first springs that 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 bring to life all virtuous resolutions comes from you, comes from the free people. Tell me where you're reading that. Oh man, where is this at? Where does the paragraph begin? Don't jump me into the middle. I'm sorry. I'm a, uh, let's see. This has got to be. Um, Don't give me a number. Just tell me what words start at the very beginning of the paragraph. Well, because I'm taking I'm taking it from my notes. <laughs> oh, blind me! I thought you were looking at the thing. Okay. Well, just go ahead and say it then. I'll. I'll... Oh, here it is. It's gonna be. Par- it's gonna be paragraph one, two, three, four. It lies upon you, gentlemen. To give you to give motion to the machine. Okay, you. Yep, yep, yep. you are the first springs that give life to all virtuous resolutions, and it's up to you. And through the whole, the, the one of the major themes is the fact that you've get that um, you. It, it, it is your fault if tyranny exists. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is. Yeah, That's the thing it's it's like we're not passive uh, passengers on this thing. <laughs> We did it to ourselves. Well, we may be passengers on the ship, but we we hire the captain. Right. Right. And so you give how does how does a ship well, a ship needs a captain? We give motion to the machine. A car, if we're driving on a flat tire, that car's not gonna drive itself. Right. We give motion to the car. We drive on a flat tire and do damage to the car. Yeah. And because you yourself know, and I mean anybody who's listening to this knows that is a flat tire in the scheme of things that could be wrong with your car very bad? No. But if you continue to drive on a flat tire, could that do irreparable harm to your car? Yes. And so could it do it if you drive it a block to get? No. But if you drive it day after day, decade after decade on that flat tire, you are going to do irreparable harm to that car to the point where it no longer is a car. Mm-hmm. Right. It becomes something else. Something else. A doorstop. A, you know, a prison. A prison. Yeah. Right. It becomes lots of things, but it's no longer a car. And so he says, you know, you're the ones. If, if, if a good thing happens in your government, then you will do it. Because he says, and he says it so clearly, such as you show yourselves, such will be your representatives. Right. You get the government that you deserve. And yeah, and and, and it starts with you. Like, and, and the way I read that, it's not even about like what you do. Like, if you're a virtuous person, you're going to choose a virtuous representative. If you're not a virtuous person, it's like the, by your fruits you shall know them. Mm-hmm. You know, so so we if we look around and we see that there's no there's zero virtue in government, there's zero virtue in Washington D.C., there's zero virtue in our state capital, and we look around, we go, wait a sec, does that mean there's no virtue in me? Well, that's the thing. You know, that's something that Algernon Sidney said. He's like, look around at your society. See how many organizations exist that are dedicated to to things that are not virtuous. The pursuit of non-virtuous things. Can you picture 20 years ago there being a such thing as... As uh, let's see, what year are we at? I'm going to make sure I'm right. Like, <laughs> like, no, like, okay, I'll say it this way. When I was 17, if I wanted to see pornography, which I did not, but if I wanted to, 
I would have had to go somewhere where they sell it. Right. I would have had to somehow sneak to the part of the bookstore where they had it. I'd have to unwrap it from the paper that it was in. And I would have to look. Today, a kid that's 17 can get that on his phone right. for free. I would have had to buy the magazine. Or a movie, go to a movie. Right. There, there would even... There, like... And at seventeen, you would have to have stolen it, like, yeah, like, some, yeah, like they wouldn't have sold. They wouldn't. There's, there's actually a, a, a barrier. There's somebody there that says you can't have that. Right. And so you think about that. The, I mean, it's irrefutable that the most prosperous segment uh, on the internet is pornography. Mm-hmm. I was just listening this morning to a podcast and they were talking about how the um, OnlyFans is now making millions upon millions of dollars. And so you could sort of take that as a yardstick. We're not a virtuous people because a virtuous people would not would not not only not allow, it wouldn't occur to us to create avenues for mothers to behave pornographically for purchase by people. Right. It wouldn't occur. So, and so, yes, we get representatives become a reflection of who we are. And we can't deny that. And so that's why I always say that you know, step one in restoring liberty is restore your personal virtue. A virtuous man can make a virtuous family, a virtuous family can make a virtuous neighborhood, a virtuous neighborhood, etc. Right. But it begins with us. It, it lies upon you to give motion to the machine, either to propel that machine farther down the road of, you know, authoritarianism or to pull back on the reins and give motion to the machine along a trajectory that leads toward liberty. It's 100% up to Now, what that requires of us is depends on, again, going back to the beginning, what you're called to do. Right. What that requires of you. But, but either way, I mean, I'll, and I'll just say it straight this way i'll just say it, no matter what it requires a certain degree of repentance turning back yeah absolutely i mean absolutely it requires because are you able, you know he says such as is the tree such will be the fruit are you a person who's able to bring forth virtuous fruit you don't want there to be virtuous resolutions if you're a person who lives a life of vice you don't want that because the contrast will make you feel worse than you know you already do yeah why do people quit going to church not be there may be a million reasons but i know one of the reasons is you don't want to sit there and be reminded of your sin if you know you're currently involved in that thing and you're going to hear people the whole time you're at church talking about how god doesn't like that thing you don't want to sit there and hear that not because it's not true but because of the contrast and the pain that that contrast elicits in you right and so the same is true for government 
I, I don't want virtuous people in charge because they're liable to actually follow the Constitution. And as it is right now, I prefer it not be followed because I will lose my subsidies and I will lose my, you know, government subsidized uh, mortgage and I will yep. lose my unemployment. I will lose my welfare and I will lose my whatever million different things, you know, I'll lose my my <laughs> forgiveness for my student loan. Whatever. Uh, for it, it, you know, it is interesting, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, what does he say at the end of this thing? You know, uh, um, how many people will sell out their principles for a little pocket change? Um, you know, they'll, 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 they'll allow the tyranny to exist because, because it's, uh, it's great men will use the power of government to, um, to enrich themselves, and then, but and that turns, and then what do what do great men? Oh, great men, I'm using scare quotes here. What do great men do when they enrich themselves? Well, they gain power, and they gain power by gifting out their wealth to their friends. Right. And the tyranny is easy. You know, some people say, yeah. tyrants make our lives so difficult." No, they don't. That's like saying the devil makes your life difficult. He doesn't. <laughs> no, it's... He does not do that at all. He makes your life so damn easy. Right. You're okay just the way you are. Dude. <laughs> and if you want to do worse things. Yeah. I saw a lady the other day, and she was she had been, I guess, outed, I don't know what you'd say, as being this, uh, she was a professor, but she was also a porn star. And she was out, and she's like, she makes this statement rather than saying, "Oh, I'm sorry." She's like, "If God exists, when I see Him, I'm simply going to say to Him, hey, 'Hey, you're the one who put me here. You gave me all these opportunities to experience humanity, and I did it.' Right? The devil wants you to have a good time, and he wants. And so, tyranny, tyrants don't want to make your life difficult." They want to make your life easy. Right, they do. And so liberty, freedom is a difficult thing not only to achieve, but to protect. Freedom is scary. Yeah, it is scary. It's very dangerous. And so, but again, going back to what they say, you will sell your freedom for a mess of pottage. Mm-hmm. Particularly if you're hungry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that's why it's important for men of sound mind, men or you know people who are free and thinkers to what choose honest men, free and independent men. Um, those will act honestly for the public interest, which would be your interest. Right. The public interest is, and Blackstone says that, right? Yeah. There's no such thing as the public good. <laughs> right. The public good is your good, your neighbor's good, all y'all together. It's the public good, but that is no different than your good. Yep. Right? And so, yes, but think of the, this is the thing, Mike. People read that and it goes down a track in their mind where it says, choose good men for, that's not what he said. That is part of what he said. But there's this, you know, there's that pathway carved into your mind that when someone says these things, no one pumps the brakes and marinates in this a little bit. It's like people just want to get to the end of the story. Well, enjoy the story for the prose. Yeah. You know, if you're reading Hemingway, don't just get to the end of the story, man. Just marinate in the good writing. And so when you see here, when Trenchard is saying this, don't just get to the, okay, yeah, we got to let good people. 
that that's not the point. There's so many other points. Mm-hmm. But even in this sentence where he says, I mean, if you break these down, okay, you so if you want to be free, if you want to perpetuate your free society who has, it's a government where the people rule through elected representatives, then this is the type of man that you have to elect. Honest, an honest man. I don't know the last honest man that was president. I mean, maybe James Monroe. Right. Free. I mean, maybe. Well, and that's again. Let's talk about what does that mean? Like free of all encumbrances, like like free of any external. Um, uh, what we would what would we call them? Um, um, lobbyists and well, yeah. You know, that's like what does that mean? <laughs> free, yes, free of those entangling alliances. Right. Free of foreign intrigue. Yeah. Huh. Right. When we say free, we don't just mean like he was a free man. Like there's there's a lot more to that yeah. one word. From those fetters that bind other men down. Yeah. And then he says independent. There's no one to get elected today to federal office who doesn't go down a path of Democrat or Republican. That's right. You may eventually declare yourself independent. May you didn't win your election as an independent. Mm-hmm. You won it based on your ability to be servile to one of the two private corporations that we have allowed to control the elections. So, an independent man. There's none. <laughs> yeah. You know, and. Because if you find this type of man, he says they will act honestly for the public interest. You know, this this reminds me of um, um, in the Psalms, uh, David. It's the last words of David, and he says, "You know, he that ruleth over men must be just." And you know, as you read that, and knowing who David is, and knowing his shortcomings, and knowing. all the problems that Israel had with all of their kings and then see and then applying that to today i think one has to come to the realization that no one is just there was there's no one well there's one who is just enough to rule and you know like i don't see anybody electing him anytime soon <laughs> no I mean, you can find those who are making a good go at it who Despite their mortality and their, you know, their shortcomings, as you said, that they're making a good go at it, you know. And so I, I don't. Yes, ultimately, as a as a Christian and as an anarchist, I would say no king but Christ. Right. Obviously. But I'm also someone who is a more a little more political realist in the short term, and say, okay, well, at least in the short term you can find those men who are as honest as fair enough yeah free as any of us could be as independent of any as any of us could be but this next sentence it is not expected to be expected that criminals will destroy their own handiwork 
Right. And this yesterday, or no, day before, let's see, what is today, Saturday? Wednesday. Wednesday I did a show with another podcast, and I was like, and this person wanted to argue with me about the notion that the Republicans and Democrats, there's not a dime's worth of difference between them. And I said, you know, my wife is doing taxes right now, and Obamacare is still the law. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Criminals will not undo the handiwork of their the other members of their criminal gang. That's right. That's right. And how many of you know, you look just yesterday, Biden was saying that he's not going to change some Trump policies. Of course you're not. Of course you're not. Because y'all are on the same team. Uh-huh. That's right. It's it's about what we're going to decide what the public is going to argue about, and it's going to begin. We be within this little Overton window, and if you try to argue outside that window and actually say no, we should, you know, maybe we should rethink this whole Ukraine thing. Maybe we should rethink this whole, you know, uh, Obama thing, Obamacare thing. Like, oh, now you're outside the bounds. Maybe we should rethink. You know, name your name your pet government project. Maybe we should read alphabet agencies. Right, it should be abolished. But the second you start saying that, it's like outside that Overton window, and you're like, no, we we we're. I can think of one person in politics in the last fifty years that would even think about doing that, and he had little power to do it. But Ron Paul was the one guy who would be like. I think today in Congress, Thomas Massey would do it if he had the power to. Um, I think he would abolish the alphabet. And Rand would probably be alongside. If there was a mo- if there was movement toward. Yeah. I think they would go along. It's just it ha- there needs to be a popular swell of people, and that's again. And that goes, that goes back to. Yep. What? Go no, 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 that goes. That goes. That goes right back to this to this very letter that says, "If it is to be, it's up to me." Like it's your fault. Like it, there isn't a. Why isn't there a popu- popular upswell? It's because. I, yeah, and what I was going to say is this is goes back to, okay, it's not my job to be a Madison, it's my job to be James Madison's teacher. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, don't lose faith because it's not being done because maybe James Madison hasn't been born yet or whatever, or maybe he hasn't, you know, there's other things that need to be accomplished, but um, you notice, it's the funny thing about this is that, you know, these men will not reform themselves, punish themselves. They will not change. So he's like, men who have brought our misfortunes upon us, they will never go about in earnest to redress them or even admit that there are such things. Right, right. Admit that the war on drugs is a failure and foolish and feckless and unconstitutional. And killed way more people than... (laughs) Just admit that. Don't even say, and I'm going to end it. Don't do that. Don't make a fool of yourself, because you know you won't. But admit it. They won't. They won't. Admit that the war on poverty has created the drug problem. Admit that. You won't. And, and I love the imagery that, that he says right after that, where he says, besides, deep wounds must be probed and searched to the core before they can be cured. And, and those who gave them 
can seldom bear to see the operation, much less will they pay for the cure if they can be at ease by the death of the patient. So if they can kill us, they'd rather kill us than have their uh, their evil deeds born open to the world. Yeah, and, and when you take death and, and maybe apply it metaphorically, yeah. the death of wisdom, the death of virtue, they're not going to do anything. It's like I always say, why aren't these things taught in school? I should already be obvious. <laughs> right? They're not going to yeah. pay people to destroy this century-long monopoly they have over education, right? When, you know, as a teacher, I was told that because the last year that I was teaching in a, you know, brick and mortar school is the year they started accepting federal matching funds. And so I was told, here's the the curriculum that we have to follow now in order to qualify for these funds. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that relate to this is, you know, because I had my first year, I bought for every student a copy of the Iliad because I think there are few books as inspiring and as foresightful as the Iliad. Plus the poetry is powerful. But it's like, you can no longer teach the Iliad. You can no longer teach Greek and Roman history. You just teach the, the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. And if you want to teach that other stuff, make a handout and just give it to the kids. Don't, don't take up classroom time. Wow. Right, because teaching of the gods and goddesses is going to do very little to inspire someone to throw off chains of tyranny or to even identify that such chains exist. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because they've been told for a, a hundred years now that Lincoln freed the slaves, when in reality, all that happened is the plantation has gotten larger. Yeah. But if you can teach that to now six generations, right, they are at ease. They're not going to ever bear to see the operation or pay for the cure. That's right because they benefit by your death. They don't, I mean, you can even apply it to the whole code. Yeah, absolutely, you can. They're not, they, they don't want you healed. They want you on the drug that they've invented to do whatever nefarious purpose it was designed, because you're not allowed to know. Right. right. But one thing we do know is that a lot of people made a lot of money that's one thing we can so it, point to. They, yes, these people, this mafia that runs the, the I hate to call it government, but I'll use that word to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. The mafia that controls mm -hmm. the government, they have no incentive, nor will they ever have any incentive to, as he says, they won't reform themselves, never. They won't punish themselves, ever. They won't even admit that the thing, the bad thing is bad. They won't do any of that. Yeah. They will not in any way contribute to the curing, even the treatment of the societal ills that have brought us to the place we are now, right? Because it gives them power. 
Right, and he says, let us therefore, my countrymen, let us not, my countrymen, desert or deceive ourselves or think we can be safe if ever such men get into power. Yeah. Well, and here's and here's one thing that I've noticed is is, is they create, they may call them bureaucracies or agencies or the judiciary. Like they create these layers on top of this um, monster, and and then they're all bribed. Like I would make the case today, um, and you know you can call it hyperbole and that'd be fine but but i would make the case that every single judge in america is a bribed judge because he's paid for bought by the state so of course he's going to rule in favor of the state you know, other than a token one or two, once or twice in order to keep the the people at bay but for the most part they're they're agents of the state and they're bribed every single day and by the state because that's how they make their living and that's how they gain their power right they might it wouldn't even be like a token correct they just might mistake be mistaken right and it might be a mistake in our favor well yeah and that's the thing that's right it might be you know i'm serious by the way i say that about the police i say trust me the police are there to protect the state not you you just might be getting the way of that protection Oh, yeah. You know? you know, anyway, that's a, another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, the judge. Yeah. You know, this is the thing that I always say. If it weren't a mafia, if it weren't a literal conspiracy, there'd be more mistakes. If it were just people making mistakes, once in a while, one of those mistakes would be in our favor. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Once in a while there'd be some major policy change that would put that would propel us back toward liberty, individual liberty. There never is. Never is. And so this tells me there is a conspiracy. Once in a while they don't control things like they would, but there's never a big decision. If it were just human beings thinking things through and being incorrect, sometimes that that those errors would be in our favor. But right. Right. And and you wouldn't have things like um, and I, I'm thinking specifically of, of judges and, and courtrooms right now, but you wouldn't have specific things like um, judges saying that jury, jury nullification doesn't exist when it in fact does. Like When it in fact, the jury system yeah. was created as to nullify the jury of your peers. This is what people don't peers, no one thinks about what that means. The jury of your peers is supposed to be 12 people that know you and that are predisposed to think you are innocent. That are, they have, you have to really prove it, man. That's what the jury is supposed to, the jury is supposed to be prepared and even motivated to nullify the law. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of the jury. The purpose of the jury, today, what's the jury? You have to find the 12 most ignorant people. I mean, the system is set up. As a lawyer, I used to get to say that. You have so many skips that you get just gone, removed, removed, removed. And then you can ask them questions. Do you know what, you know, do you know what bribery is? If they say yes, gone. (laughs) But the jury system was intended to nullify the law. Yeah. 
It was created. It wasn't created to serve the purposes of the prosecutor. It was created to serve the purposes of the defense. Yeah. You say yes, but nobody knows. That. No, but and, and, and even people who think they're constitutional or conservative don't know that. And that's right. Against that. That's right. They would, and they and it's really when you see things like conviction rates that would make you know Mao blush. Like it, it, we have to just think to ourselves: Oh, are there really that many criminals in America? Are there really? that many um you know it, it just it it just doesn't make like i'm i listen i am not a i'm a musician <laughs> so so like i i think strangely i get that but like if you're a scientifically minded guy and you're into like studies and stuff like that wouldn't you look at like the the convention conviction rate in america and go that just looks fixed. Well, you can. I mean, there's a book called The Moral Sense by a guy named James Wilson. And read that book where he did that. He's like, I'm going to take, and he's a political scientist, and he's like, I'm going to take the data and see what the data revealed to me. Right? So, but getting back to this, this is one of my favorite things and something we just don't do. Let us judge men, judge what men will do by what they have done. Don't listen yep. to their warm and plausible remonstrances. Don't listen to what <laughs> their campaign speeches. <laughs> yeah. Judge what they will do by what they have done. Right? Yep. Yep. That's, I mean, again, and part of the problem. Is because so many in public office have literally, in many cases, grown up in public office. All we have ever seen them done is public office, and and so when when all you when everything that they've done has been under the guise of government, like who's who built a who's been an entrepreneur and then went and, and, and went to public office. And, and many times, even if they were an entrepreneur, like they were an entrepreneur in the same sense that like Elon Musk is where they got a bunch of government contracts. <laughs> in other words, there's, there's, they're in, they're in government because they realize that, that, that that's where the power and that's where the money lies. Right. And even if you have, you know, Bastiat talks about this where he says, you know, occasionally you might have a, an honest, uh, free and independent man who gets elected. Yeah. What so often happens is once that person's elevated, mm -hmm. elevated to office, they look down and now say, well, because I've been given this honor, that must mean I'm better than these people. Oh, yeah. Somehow they see that I'm better than them and they want me to rule over them. And unfortunately, the people comply to that. A lot of people say, well, you know, hey, how are we going to let's let's go complain to the school board. Let's go complain to our legislature, which which is fine. Go complain. But like at some point, you've got to pull your kid out. You've got to leave. You've got to do something a little more drastic than complain. Yeah, but there are people and Trichard and Gordon talk. They have a whole letter about how the first of all, you know, they mentioned the parties are standing, you know, the political parties are inside the castle, 
and they'll get up and make speeches from the ramparts of the castle, firing up one or the other groups of people against the other group of people, yeah. while inside they're all laughing and dividing up our spoils. Yeah, exactly right. But they're standing inside that they're like, hey, let's go rile up the races. And they'll stand up there and do that, and then they'll retire back inside the castle, and they'll have the next, you go and say this, okay. And you, and you don't realize they're they're the same group of people. They're the, on the same team, right, Joe? Right, but we don't, that's the thing. Someday we're going to realize that it's not Republicans versus Democrats or blacks versus whites. It's us against them. That's right. Someday we're going to realize, and when they do, that's that that thing that Raynal wrote, that, that fateful rousing. Beware, he says to the tyrants, of that day when they recognize that you exist to serve them, you're not serving them, and they outnumber you. Yeah. That fateful rousing. I, I'm curious, Joseph, do you mind if I ask you something? I'm like, <laughs> feel, by the way, feel free to jump in. <laughs> but I, I'm curious, because you're a little bit younger guy than us. Like, when, um, with your friends and the people that you know, and, and I, it's one sample size, like I get that, but, but like what, do you think this is, this kind of stuff wouldn't resonate with them? Do you think it's, do you think that, that, um, um, they're too busy, you know, trying to build a career or whatever? Like what, what are your thoughts on how your generation would take the stuff that, that brother Joey and I are, are chatting about? Okay. So a good portion of them, great portion of them would not care no but it's not necessarily their own fault because they've been born into a society that conditions them to think as such a society that doesn't necessarily value a free thinker or someone who pursues truth and so it's not their fault you can't choose the conditions you're born into but you can choose your your path out or your path to a higher power toward your creator and doing your will toward him and not necessarily toward man so a good portion of them wouldn't, but I, don't, I do know some really good people who, who, who value this information and who take it to heart and who know that, that this life is only a short time in the grand scope of things. And so take that as you will. But yeah. So, no, that's good. That's good insight, man. That that's that's interesting. I because you know, I mean, I have kids, and I and I know that this stuff resonates with them. I mean, they use it against me all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, but but at the same time, like they're they're truly like they're they're independent. They're their own people, and they do their own thing. And so, um, but but you know, my wife and I try to create a culture that you know that cultivated. That you know, bringing you know Joey in to, to teach my kids was a big part of that. But um, but I do get that. Like I I am the outsider. Like I'm the I'm do things did things differently than what most people do did. So that that's interesting insight. And I think there are a lot more people out there like that. It's just that the small majority of our society has the loudest voice, and so. I think there are a lot of closet people who think a lot like you and who are cultivating that environment for their children. It's just that they're not necessarily loud about it because it's not a popular way to think, per se. Yeah, and that goes to the whole thing that, you know, I've talked about a lot with the whole um, Sydney thing about this. Throughout history, the group that rises up and ultimately throws off tyrants are those kids who were raised hid and unregarded. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So it was family settled subject discipline, right? Not the, you know these are, and there are few of them. I mean, he names like six, right? Uh, Brutus, Coriolanus. Yeah. He names about six of these kids who, when they became of age, they gave, they bore testimony of liberty greater than any before, and that will continue to be talked about throughout the ages. But they were raised, he says, hid and unregarded. And I think that's a good thing. Because so, so many people are like, I wish so-and-so would take a more active role in politics. And I'm like, well, maybe that person is called to do that. I don't know. But I, well, it's like the other day, a friend of mine, she used to be a student, and she's having children. And she was like, I, I feel embarrassed that I haven't taken that I haven't continued since school to take on this active participation in you know, pushing back against things. And I'm like, oh, wow. You yeah. spend your time raising patriots. Yeah. Teach your, don't worry about teaching anybody else. Don't worry about anyone even knowing what you believe. Just make sure your children know that from the cradle, they are raised with these things the way, you know, the, the whole Nellie Madison sewing together potatoes. Yeah. You know, do you, that kind of devotion to the cause, you know, is mathemat literally mathematically more effective. You know, one person being a patriot is great, but that person, if she's a woman, creating five, six, seven patriots is better for us in the moment. Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, saying that it's a silent, or a silent majority or whatever, the truth is, if you took the percentage of people that we call founding fathers, and even if you expand that definition to include, like, I, the way I expanded it is to say anybody who signed the Declaration of Independence, anybody who served in either one of the Continental Congresses, anyone who went to the Constitutional Convention, anyone who served in any of the ratifying conventions. If you did all of those people and you take the percentage... And humor, sir. <laughs> Sorry. The percentage of those people and you apply it to the population of America, mm -hmm. the people that it would require to accomplish what our founders accomplished in, in a ratio that they were to the overall population, we would only need the amount of people, everyone all over the country, not just Arizona, but all of 50 states, if you could gather all of those people together, they would fit inside uh, Chase Field. Wow. At wow. So, I think, you know, what uh, Joe's saying is right. It's like, there are more of them. There are more people than we would expect that believe in these things. And we don't need that many. Right? Even those people that are like, oh, the three percenters, it's so much less than that. Mm -hmm. It's so much less than yeah. that. We just have to have people willing to do what they are able to do. Don't you know, don't run faster than you have strength. Right. It's like Plato who talked in the Republic who talks about gold, silver, and bronze people. 
you know, he's like, the Republic becomes disordered, mm -hmm. ceases to function, and in fact, becomes tyrannical when you have bronze people doing gold jobs and gold people doing bronze jobs. Gold is not more important to the Republic than bronze. Right? Right. So being a bronze person, being your, you having this, because I would say in the, in the, in the effort to restore liberty, I'm a bronze person in that my role is less than the role of someone who is going to physically take up arms. Mm -hmm. But I'm cool with that. And, but we get a disordered republic when you have gold people doing silver jobs, silver people doing gold jobs, etc. Find what it is that you do and that you do better than other people. Yeah. Admit that you do it better than other people and then do that thing consistently. Amen. And, and I also, just to add to that, I think all three of us believe and many others believe that God is a God of liberty. Like he wants us to be free. He wants us to have liberty. He wants us to, to put down tyrants. He wants to, us to, to um, put only him first. Uh, that's the first commandment. Um, so if we can learn how to listen to and follow the spirit, follow God and do what he wants, you know, do that one thing really well. And, and that, that, what makes you, you know, and when I say makes you feel really good, I don't mean that in like a carnal sense. I mean, the thing that like truly brings you joy, if you can do that over and over and, and be the best at it, then, and that is God telling you to do that thing. And that will bring liberty to more people than, than, you know, you, you trying to storm January 6th style, the, the White House, because <laughs> trust me, you that didn't, right? it wasn't, but that's a whole, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, but you look at the list of things that he lists that the government is doing that he's like, surely this list now convinces you that what I'm saying is true. Look at the thing he said. Yeah. Exorbitant pensions. I mean, do you realize that if you serve four years in Congress, you get 75% of your salary for the rest of your life? It's insane. That's, I mean, same true for the president. You get secret service. You get a car. They pay for you to have an office in... I think my favorite was when they talked about if if uh, President Trump goes to jail, the he'll have to, he'll have the Secret Service with them in jail. Yeah, I mean it's just. <laughs> but so, so you have exorbitant pensions, outrageous taxes, wild and expensive expeditions. There's no reason that the president of the United States has to have, like we saw the other day, we pointed out, 24 cars motorcade when he goes to visit Ireland. Yeah. Why? It's that's what kings do. Why that is what kings do. Yeah, I remember when Obama went and visited Spain and they rented out two floors of this hotel. Now that was because he had his retinue that took up those two floors. It was just so that no one could get near the king. Right. Right. It, it, it does remind me a little bit of like um, the, the 
miniseries, the John Adams miniseries, when Adams is vice president, he's trying to get people to call George Washington, you know, your highness and, and all this stuff. It, it makes me laugh because it's like, we all want like our presence to be on par with all these Kings. And, and it's like, no, that's, he's the leader of the free world. That's right. <laughs> King, by boss. <laughs> And don't you forget it. (laughs) Outrageous taxes, wild and expensive expeditions, increasing the public debt. Huh. We don't have that there. Standing (laughs) troops quartered up and down your country. Oppressive companies to the destruction of your trade and industry. Uh Private men raising immense estate upon your ruin. (laughs) Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah. Elon Musk, all these people with the Ford. I just uh-huh. an article for the New American because in Tennessee, right outside the town where I live, they they have this thing they call Blue Oval City. Blue Oval City. It's because Ford is going to be, start building these electric trucks and the batteries there outside Lakeland in rural West Tennessee. Yeah. And the incentive package was in the billions. You we're giving you this incentive to come here. So when he says against oppressive companies to the destruction of your trade industry, imagine the entrepreneurship available, possible, if there were no government, oh, man. if there was no corporate welfare. Yeah, yeah. If there were no subsidy, if you just had to rely on your own good sense, your own motivation, your own ability to get things done, and you weren't up against an Amazon that gets billions, right? Tesla that gets billions, a Ford that gets billions. If you just had to compete and all the funds out there were equally available to all based on, you know, merit and your desire, your drive. Imagine how that would be. Um, against bribing and corrupting the guardians of public liberty. Yeah. And yeah, that's. I mean, you saw that. Every state official right there. Right. State <laughs> official, they all get Potomac fever. They yep. have to go and be federal officials. Yep. And then you have, even like Clarence Thomas, a guy who I actually respected, mm-hmm. he's on the take. Yep. Like, broke my heart. It's like, come on, man. Even A2 Clarence. <laughs> I mean, not that it's, it did surprise. I'm not about, I was about to say it didn't surprise me. It did surprise me. Yeah. In retrospect, I'm like, I, you know, don't put your trust in the arm of flesh. But it did surprise me. But here, the things he's listing, again, take this to the deck. I'm just, I'm not saying this theoretically. I'm saying this literally. <laughs> right. Take this list. Compare it to the list in the Declaration of Independence. It's right there. It's all the, yeah, and the, it's there. These are the, these are the things the King is doing to us, and um, why we feel it necessary and our duty to to throw him off, and to say we are free and independent of your reignship. And he says in the Declaration, some people are going to suffer evil. They're just going to sit back and say, oh well. We used to be free. That you can do that. Or or they're gonna say we're still free compared to the rest of the world. Which I don't know how true that is, but okay. Right. It's still not free. Free I Yeah. Do I want you to be free? I do. 
but my first concern is my freedom. Mm -hmm. Now, if I get to a certain level of prosperity that my freedom can help you be freer, I feel a compulsion, a Christian compulsion to do that. But I don't feel a Christian compulsion to do that if I'm enriching you by impoverishing myself. That's right. That doesn't make any sense. And so you you look at these things, every one of these things. And then the thing I said the other day, I had a, you know, I take three weeks to teach the Declaration of Independence, if you can believe that. It takes three weeks to teach that document. And one of the things I said is, take this list and ask, do we? Right. That's the, do we experience? That's the next step, right? Like, what's... Because it, this was written 53 years, 54 years before, before the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson wasn't even born. Thomas Jefferson's dad was born. <laughs> right? Yeah. But just to give you an idea, people don't think about that. To give you an idea of the timeline, you know, this is the dress rehearsal for revolution. Yeah, because it put into their minds things that they wouldn't use until, you know. Okay, so, I mean, um, these are letters to the editor mm -hmm. of a newspaper. Mm -hmm. Were there, what was happening in England at that time that... Well, Mike, if you read... Those letters. <laughs> you would know that at the very beginning they introduce what is wrong. At this time they had, and it, I'm saying that I'm joking with you, obviously, but I mean, halfway joking. <laughs> Not joking at all. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking since I'm calling you out on it like that. Yeah. But I just want the audience to know why. Yeah, I know. You're right. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but no, if that is that is true, you know, that is true. You probably did do that, and I'm not. So now I'm the one who's like, no, I'm trying to look at that. Stuff. Um, the you know, something that's so appropriate and so uh, so applicable to our day is it starts out because the government had entered into an agreement with a private company to take control of the monetary system of. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so they had a group called the South Sea Company. Yeah. That the government of England gave control of the South Sea Company over the monetary policy of England. <laughs> and so they were motivated because this South Sea Company, all of a sudden, lots of bad things start to happen. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> prosperity, man. And he's like, where is the king? Where is the parliament? We, and so this is why, I mean, with that in mind, and then you read all of this, but it all started with this, you know, the 1720s version of the federal. It happened at Hyde Island. And right. <laughs> uh, no, but you read that, and it's like, it, it, it ceases to be funny. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to... You have been warned and forewarned. And then the most powerful word in Scripture, nevertheless. You know, you have been warned and forewarned. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose for thyself, for I have given it unto thee. Right? Yeah. Warned and forewarned. We could... We could read this. We could teach this to our kids. But what the tyrants know for certain 
is that about 99% of people, even if they're sitting here and they're listening to this and they're nodding like, yeah, this is all true, they're still going to take their kids to the indoctrination camp on Monday. That's right. Period. And the, the tyrants know that. Why? People think, oh, we're going to get to them if we keep shaking our fist on Facebook and if we put memes that make fun. They want you to do that because they know it's kind of like how porn gives you false testosterone. They know that acting up like this gives you a false sense of actually doing something. So they want you to. They want you to complain. They want you to make a deal on social. They want you to do that because it satisfies something in you, but only temporarily. Yeah. It gives you that boost, that quick boost of, oh, I'm sticking it to the man. But if you really wanted to stick it to the man and you have children, the first thing you do is refuse to send them to the indoctrination camp. But the tyrant knows you're not going to do that. It's way too easy not to. You say indoctrination as like a metaphorical term, but like, but realistically, if you go back to the board of directors on education, it's funded by John Rockefeller himself. So, like, you say that as a metaphor, but it's literally no. I don't mean metaphorically. I, I took it as a metaphor. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And then that, so I just wanted to point out, like, so your listeners can actually research that themselves and find that for themselves. Yeah. It's, 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 we've had a couple of conversations about that, but it's, you're right. It's absolutely an, an indoctrination camp set up to, to, to have your, um, children be slaves to the state and, or, and the corporation that they're going to work for. Um, so they could be little soldiers and, um, little, uh, you know, little, pumping out money machines for for the people in power well if you if, if you study the origin of it the first federal department of education was started by abraham lincoln and why because people in the north did not support a war of aggression against the south and you can understand the feeling by reading the first few paragraphs of Lincoln's first inaugural when he correctly explains the constitutional authority he had over the southern states, which is none. Right? Yeah. They do wrong. Even if my, if my neighbor does things that I believe morally wrong, I don't have the authority to stop him. Right. I can talk to him and encourage him not to. I can withdraw from him. Right. Cut off communication, but I can't go over there and at the point of a gun force him to do what I think is right. No, and again, but if we bring it down to an understandable, you know, daily life level, everybody's like, yeah, that makes sense. But if you put it into a government, people are like, Lincoln freed the slaves. Okay, he didn't. But, but the thing about Lincoln, what? remember the Department of Education? It was begun to what? To make sure that children were being brought up to accept war that was unjust. And it's perpetually done that. Just basically to rewrite history. Basically just created by Rockefeller and by so many others who, who contributed to John Dewey. Yeah. Right, Horace Mann. These people that created this system adopted it from Prussia, 
where it was designed to create citizens prepared to be soldiers. And that's what it always, since, since the 1860s when Lincoln, now yes, it, it ended quickly because Lincoln instituted the draft and, and other such things and suspended habeas corpus and so he didn't really need that so he closed it down but it has always existed it, it, it restarted in earnest before right around World War One. right exactly the same time as the income tax and the Federal Reserve right and then again it's it, it's always associated the education is always associated with indoctrinating young people to accept tyranny and to conflict. That's why Tyranny for Dummies. Chapter one is get control of the education. Second is disarm the people. Mm-hmm. Chapter is you can do whatever you want. Yeah, you're done then. Yeah. Right? Because if you teach people that slavery is freedom, we've always been at war with Eurasia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Yep. If you can teach them that slavery is freedom. You know, you're being educated. If you can teach them these things, and then you can disarm them, nothing stands in your way. But now, mind you, this was all written out in a list, written what 2,700 years ago by Aristotle in Book Five and Book Six of his book Politics. He lists all these things. But again, no one is going to take... You realize these things would have been taught to people that this Cato's letters yeah. would have been taught to people that we would consider today in third grade. That is remarkable how far we've, how far we've fallen. Yeah, I mean, but... The point is, they have control of the education, so what are you going to do about it? Right. The only one thing, because every time I hear someone say, defund the schools, you can defund the schools right now, man. Take your kid out of it. Yep. That's right. You just defunded, and if you take your kid out of an Arizona public or charter school, you just defunded that school of $8,000 a year. That's right. Yep, sorted. You defunded the schools. And 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 oh, so I know I have no say in the school board. Why do you care? Why do you want to say? Yeah, let them do what they want to do. Let them let them teach what they want to teach, and those people that want to take their kids there. And are you f- afraid? that the people who are, let's say, graduating in 2023, are you scared of these people being geniuses and being clever enough to overcome the rest of us who have been taught truth? Dude, think of Gideon. Yeah. Think of Gideon and his battle in the Bible. That's so good. And yeah. Jehovah keeps saying, no, 30,000 is too many. If you beat them with 30,000, you're going to think it's because you were strong. So since I'm away, okay, how about now? No, you're still going to think it's <laughs> To the point where he reduced it down to 300. Right. And they're like, we will never win with 300. 
right, but you plus me will win. That's right. And with 300 soldiers, you're never going to think it was you that did it. You're going to know for a fact that I fought your battle for you. So who cares that you don't have a say in the school? Right. Let Washington do it. You're not going to reclaim it, guys. You are wasting your breath, your money, your youth, your time, talent, and treasure. You are wasting it if you're aiming at reforming what will not be reformed. Right. Like he said, right? They will not reform themselves. They will not punish themselves. Quit asking the federal courts to clamp down on one of its sister branches. Stop being stupid. Yeah. Pivot. Pivot your view away from Washington, away from government at all. Pivot your view inside the walls of your four home and build that as a beacon of liberty where you will raise these kids that are hid and unregarded. That's right. You know, associ- rely on that. Rely on the Lord yeah. to prosper his causes. That's right. Associate yourself with like-minded people and rely on the Lord. Like, that's it. This is where we got the, you know, letter 69. I think the way it came up was the talking about the neighbors. Right, right. Because he goes on and he says, I mean, and, uh, if you want me to read it. Go ahead, go ahead. And sort of the, the, the call to action is, now, therefore, my best friends, is the time to help yourselves. Now act honestly and boldly for liberty or forget the glorious and charming sound. Now that in our class was, in one of the founders' class, that became, we always adopted a motto from some of the stuff we were reading, and that was one of them. Now, therefore, my best friends, it's the time to help yourselves. Act honestly and boldly for liberty or forget the glorious and charming sound. That's the act. And so what do you do? He said. That's, that's what I love. Is- he says, throw your eyes about your several countries. Now, what is he talking about? He's, is he talking about countries other than England? No. No. Countries within England. Right? Country meant a society of like-minded people. There are many countries in the world. Mm-hmm. There are many countries in the United States. So he says, throw your eye. Don't look at London. Forget London. It's gone. Right? London, what is it? London is drowning and I live by the river. Right? <laughs> London is gone. In the immortal words of Morrison, London is dead. <laughs> Don't look to London. He says, look, throw your eyes about your several countries. That's right. Your little neighborhood. And he says, and what does he say? Choose your patrons. Choose your protectors. Choose your neighbors and your known friends. That's your first step. Mm-hmm. Right? Choose your neighbors, he says. I, did you choose your neighbors? No. Did you? No. Did I? No. Yeah, it's it. So maybe you know, maybe start thinking that these things are real and not just not just the uh, fertile for the selection of clever quotations. Maybe think this is real, historically sound counsel for people that want to be free. So he says, act for yourselves. Throw your eyes about your several countries. Look around. Choose your patrons. 
choose your protect protectors, choose your neighbors, and your known friend. I'm telling you, the idea of dividing up into tribes of your friends, your family. We need to do a podcast on that, my friend. I'm just <laughs> counsel given to do very, that very thing. There has yeah. been a time when the people looked around, they saw that a conspiracy had destroyed their Republican government. Yep. And they decided to splinter into tribes of country, of kin, kindred, family, friends. That's right. And by the way, and that's, that's and it, throwing your eyes about your several. And it doesn't mean like they didn't interact with each other. No, in fact, it says they didn't. Right. <laughs> they just made an accord. They made an agreement. We're not going to go to war. I don't like you. I don't like the way you live. I don't like the principles you espouse. And you don't like mine. So let's remain separate, but let's make an agreement. You don't go to war with me. I don't want to go to war with you. I don't steal from you. You don't steal from me. I don't kill your people. You don't kill my people. But we can still trade if we want to. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing. It's like, but that's so utopian. <laughs> I mean, I would... I would literally... If it, were, if it were asking me this, if God asked me to disagree, I would die to protect the right of two gay dudes who are married to protect their marijuana crop with an M16. I don't want to live around gay married dudes. And they don't want to live around me. Right. But that's not... smoke weed. But they don't want me telling them they can't. Right. Right. I, I don't want to. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to throw my eyes around my country. And I'm going to choose patrons, protectors, neighbors, and known friends. And make that my society. My country. Mm -hmm. And say, I don't want anything to do with the other countries as far as their laws. I want, we want to make our own laws. But we're not gonna inf we're not gonna try to exert any sort of influence over your laws. That ship has sailed. We tried that one time when we had a Republican government, and it worked until the conspiracy gained control of the government to shield their perversions and their murders. Like we know that life, we're living that life. Right. That that's right. so what is it left to us to do? Throw your eyes about your several countries and do these things. Choose, I mean, what a, what a thing to choose your neighbors. Mm -hmm. You know, Thomas Gordon, now he didn't write this, Trenchard wrote this, but Thomas Gordon wrote a book, I swear if I could, I'm actually, I have retyped it, I want to get it out to people. He wrote a book called Three Political Letters to a Noble, to a Noble Lord on liberty in the Constitution. Now, not the Constitution of the United States, Constitution of England. Right. He wrote this at the end, right near the end of Cato's letters, uh, Thomas Gordon. And in there, he goes through these things about what it takes to be free and to maintain that liberty. One of the things he says is, and we even have it, an echo of it in the Second Amendment. Everybody focuses on keeping their arms. No one focuses on why. 
because a militia is necessary to maintain a free state. You will never find in all the writings of our founders any time the, that keeping and bearing arms is not mentioned in context, in concert with the militia. And that's a word that dare not speak its name even among conservatives today. Right. And that's fine. I don't want, you're not going to be my neighbor. <laughs> but Thomas Gordon, in one of his letters, says, you have to, and, and this is what people don't get. He's quoting Livy, who wrote the history of Rome. Gordon says, as Livy taught us, well, okay, Livy hasn't taught us anything in a hundred years. Because you're not allowed to read that in school. Yeah. So he says, as Livy taught us, the only way to keep our country, and not giant empire, but the only way to keep our country free is to have a militia. Well, actually, I can pull up the exact quote because it's so powerful. Okay. I'm... I'm loving this. <laughs> Are you digging this, Joseph? Yeah. <laughs> I can listen all day to your voice. He says, each man, says Livy, cho chose his relation and his neighbor for his companion in war. They made a solemn oath to be true to each other and resolved to conquer or to die together. The Confederacy consisting of relations and friends whose virtue, valor, and abilities were known to each other and raised and animated their courage and inspired them with such sentiments as had like to been proved fatal to the Roman power. Such a combination makes the interest of one the interest of all. Their motives and their ends are all the same. Their counsels are regularly directed so well-regulated mm -hmm. councils are regularly directed and their conduct from thence is so uniform that no other ambition, no other confederacy could ever disturb them. So when he says, choose your neighbors, choose your friends, choose to live around these people, because it is only by having these relations and friends as your companions in war that that power is so inspiring and so animating. This confederacy of relations and friends it would prove fatal to even the Roman power. And I mean, that is so powerful because, well, I want, I, I kind of just want to let that hang a little bit, but, but the idea that, that, um, that your interests are so aligned with somebody else, I, I'm reminded of, of, um, I'm reminded of, of someone who said that um, once we make our covenants with God, the next thing, the next important thing for us to do is to make covenants with our friends and our neighbors. And I don't think I quite understood that until hearing this better, because 
it is a covenant of love and a covenant of war, a covenant of protection. And um, and it, it only happens when your interests are aligned together and not in a like a weird communist sense of like aligned, like like our stuff is one and, and all of that, but it's more aligned like my interests are your interests because because number one, I love you as my neighbor, and number two, like the next person, as a as a selfish point of view, th- they get you, they're getting me. So it's better for us to go stand. And if Joseph, if you want to join in too, now we got three, and now I just created a Charlie Brown song. <laughs> Sorry, that's a really bad inside joke. <laughs> Over my head. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Charlie Brown the musical. There's a song about what best you know. One becomes two. It becomes three and more and then more and then. Sorry. Sing more of <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah. Thing about Charlie Brown musical. <laughs> well, you know, and it goes on. Um, it just makes not so foolish a bar. You know. Who are you going to trust? Don't trust any man who has dipped his hands into yes. public spoils. <laughs> Make not so foolish a bargain as for a little loose money to give up desperately all that you have. You have your liberty, your estate, your family. Do you know what the education system in America has done to families? Just look, look around. Boy. Look around. And and all of these things are. We have given up all of these things for a little loose money. It is for your sakes, you think, that these jobbers of stocks and of honesty and of their country. You think it's for you that they come to caress you, flatter you, and bow down to you? Do you or can you believe that they come to impair their fortunes to increase yours? Do you think that anybody running for office pays millions of dollars to get in that office so that he can do the best he can for you? Baloney. Mm. Yeah, BS. BS is right. He does that to enrich himself. If you don't believe it, look up the net worth of these people when they enter office and when they leave. Mm Mm-hmm. And guess what? Tyrant's going to tyrant. Thief is going to thief. Pervert is going to pervert. You are not going to take this out of there. So he says, what? Whose fault is it? Yours. And he says, you have, you don't have any right or pretense to reprove them for doing what they've always done. I love that so much. Yeah. You... don't yell at the at the duck for crapping on your car because that's what ducks do. Right. You wouldn't park your car under a tree and then get pissed that there's bird crap on it. Right. Because any sane person would say, is that the bird's fault or your fault, maybe? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So either... Again, it goes back to driving on the flat tire. Mm-hmm. Yep. And do not... You have no right or pretense to reprove that person who does what he does. And he says, do you think they're going to increase your wealth? No, they're coming to increase their wealth. Or think you not that they will get their pennies worth out of you. 
depend on it, they will. They will. And for every, listen to this, man. This is when Trencher's just hitting his stride, man. <laughs> for every bucket of water thrown into your well, they will pump out tons. Okay, and all I have to say to that is the COVID money. Oh, yeah. I mean... Everybody right now, I got my tax return. Right, right. My slavish imbecile. Absolutely, 100%. Like They threw a bucket into your well, but all year they've been taking out way more than Way more. Thimble in your bank account for the river full they've taken out. Yep, yep. But... That's, but we've allowed it. We haven't been warned. <laughs> right. I mean, what did Samuel say? Talk about Oh my gosh. Israel. Yep. Israel, Israel had a king. That must mean it's the right thing. <laughs> yeah. No. Have you read the <laughs> Right. No, he's going to steal your women, to send your men to, to war, and then steal your money to build themselves castles. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. What they did. <laughs> but again, can you be warned? Yes. Are there ways to learn these things, teach them to your children? Yes. Are you going to do it? No. And therefore, you have no right or pretense to reprove what's going and, and this is why the sins of the fathers last three, four generations. Right. And why, and why he, the tyrant, will find no difficulty selling those who have before sold themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Amen and amen to that. That's exactly what they, you, you have no um, leg to stand on. Once, once you've shown yourself to be the whore, We're just now, you know, uh, quibbling over the price. Consider, my dear friends and countrymen, what I have said. And think what you are doing while you are raising hue and cry after men who will betray you. While you are sending afar for courtiers, for directors of bubbles, for company men, and for public pickpockets to represent you. While you are giving up, perhaps forever, to the mercy of bloodsuckers, your honest industry, the just profits of your trade, and for what? For a poor, momentary share of their infamous plunder, and that thereby bringing a canker upon your subsistence and the just resentment of heaven upon your endeavors. Listening to End of Love Remains. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. We're trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down. 